there was this controversial figure. Everywhere he went, people challenged him. They questioned his ideology, trolled him, called him ugly names. But he never took the bait, never raised his voice, refused to retaliate because he believed he could change the world by turning the other cheek. How do you respond when you're insulted or rejected? If you're like most people, you, resi- you respond to insult and to rejection with either outrage or depression. We either get really, really angry or we get really, really sad. And Jesus says that in him there is now a new way possible. Good morning, everybody. Nice to have you with us. Uh, I want to say hello to those of you joining us from our Farmington Hills campus and those of you joining us online from places near and far. Thanks for coming today. Today we're talking about rejection and retaliation. In a very popular TED Talk, a guy named Jia Jang uh, wrote about how he was traumatized and fearful of rejection And he overcame it by doing a little experiment that he called 100 Days of Rejection. And he eventually wrote a book about it that he he calls his book Rejection Proof, How I Beat Fear and Became Invincible Through 100 Days of Rejection. He made a 100-day plan to intentionally be rejected every day in some way. So on day one, he walks up to a beefy security guard at the office and asks to borrow $100. The answer was no. Next day, he walks into Five Guys restaurant and asks the clerk for a burger refill. The guy says, what's a burger refill? Well, you give drink refills. I'd like a burger refill. And the guy said no, but he uh, thought it was an interesting idea. Next day, he walks into Krispy Kreme Donuts and asks to have donuts that are cut in the shape of the Olympic rings. And the clerk did it on the spot, and the video of that moment went viral. Uh, next day, one of the other days, he, he, he walks into PetSmart and asks for a, a hair trim. And uh, the people of PetSmart said no, but they thought it was hilarious. And in his book, he records some of his learnings over his 100 days of rejection. And this is one of the lessons he points out in his book that he learned. Rejection is a great teacher. Rather than respond with outrage or depression when we're rejected, uh, he says we can learn from it if we approach it with a spirit of curiosity. Another lesson he points out is this. uh, Rejection makes us stronger. Uh, He said that even after a few weeks of this, that his own family and friends noticed that he walked with greater assurance and confidence. He he became desensitized to rejection. It didn't make him as fearful anymore. And uh, another lesson he said was rejection gives us perspective. He said, uh, Gia says, he he, he learned to not take himself so seriously. Uh, He learned to laugh at himself, that rejection is rarely as bad as we think that it is. Uh, Now, uh, ultimately, uh, being outraged solves nothing and usually makes the situation far worse. Jesus, of course, gave us the ultimate example of how to respond when being rejected. The best example is not Gia, but Jesus, who responded to rejection not with outrage or depression, but with love, and he taught his followers to do the same. In this series, we've been calling out some of the stereotypes that people have about Jesus and about Christianity, 
and a misguided critique that's often lobbed against Jesus is that Jesus taught weakness. Jesus taught weakness. He was saying, he always said things like, uh, walk the extra mile and uh, turn the other cheek. In, in other words, um, you know, uh, let your enemies do whatever they want to you. Let people walk all over you. Uh, resign yourself to the role of a victim. Be like a lamb before the slaughter. Uh, now, now, Jesus is not, of course, teaching that we never stand up for ourselves. He's not teaching that we resign ourselves to the role of a victim. People have accused Jesus of this. Nietzsche, the philosopher, uh, said that the command to love one's enemies from Jesus is testimony to the fact that the Christian ethic is designed for the weak and cowardly, not for the strong and courageous. This is Nietzsche. He said the Christian ethic to love your enemies is designed for the weak and cowardly, not for the strong and courageous. Nietzsche called Jesus an impractical idealist. But Jesus was not teaching weakness. He was teaching another kind of strength. He said, now that the kingdom has come, and now that you're in me, you have a different kind of strength, and you can respond differently than the kingdom of this world. You have a new kind of strength. You don't have to be a victim of fear, and you don't have to be a victim of the need to retaliate and to be vengeful and seek revenge. You can live in freedom. It's a new level of strength. Another critique or stereotype, and this one may have more merit, is that Christians simply have not followed the instructions of Jesus to turn the other cheek, to walk the extra mile, to love our enemies, and to pray for those who persecute us. The critics say uh, Jesus might have said those things, but Christians are just as prone to vengeance as anybody else. Jesus may have taught the way, but Christians today aren't walking in it. So let's look at what Jesus actually said and examine whether we trust Jesus enough to do what he said. Because ultimately it comes down to trust. Do we trust that what Jesus said is really best? Our text today comes from the Sermon on the Mount, and it's from a section in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus contrasts the conventional wisdom of the day with a kingdom-minded mindset. And he volleys back and forth in a number of issues, and he uses this phrase to tie it together. He repeatedly says, you have heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, and he talks about the conventional wisdom of the day, but he says, that, that's, that's okay, but I have a higher vision for you. In the kingdom, you can live differently than that. And Jesus uh, starts it here. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. This was the conventional wisdom of Jesus' day. And this line actually appears in the Bible in the Old Testament written by Moses. And it was designed to say that punishment uh, should fit the crime and not more than that. And when Moses wrote eye for eye, tooth for tooth, he wrote into a very lawless society. There was no justice system. It was every man for himself. You hurt me, I hurt you back. How much do I hurt you back? As much as I can as much as I want. And so into that lawless society, Moses thinks it's best to restrain retributive violence and to put a cap on it and to say, look, it's insult for insult, no more. Wound for wound, no more. Eye for eye, 
tooth for tooth. It's the idea of kind of a proportional punishment. And it really set the groundwork for uh, the justice system that would come into play. doesn't seem like it today, but it actually was a huge step forward in the ancient world. And Jesus says, yeah, that's the standard right now. That's considered a high standard right now. But in my kingdom, you can even go higher. You don't have to live in the you hurt me, I hurt you back kind of world. You can now live in the kingdom of God that's fully available to you right now. There's a new kind of strength to do things you've previously been unable to do. And then Jesus goes through some real-world examples that all of his listeners would have understood immediately in their day. Example number one, if anybody uh, slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And this is, uh, in that day and place, if someone struck you on the right cheek, it wasn't to hurt your body, it was to insult your honor. This is a Jewish insult. On the right cheek, this was a high insult. This is, Jesus is not saying here that Christians should put up with physical abuse or physical violence. This is not about physical violence. This is about insult. Jesus is saying, don't engage an insulting person. Don't, don't get into a fight that ultimately is about ego and bravado. Just don't even engage that kind of fight. And then uh, Jesus gives another example. Again, they would have understood this. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. This is a legal scenario. Someone takes you to a court of law and they sue you for your shirt. Now, honestly, if they're suing you for your shirt, how much money does that person actually have? None. And so Jesus says, here's an idea. Someone takes you to court and they sue you for your your shirt. Here's an idea. Offer them your coat as well. It'll blow their mind. Do it not because you have to, but because you can. You're no longer bound to fear. You're no longer bound to having to get back at that person. You have a new level of freedom now in my kingdom. You can do this. Stuart Weber, in his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, uh, makes this observation. Mercy, definition, withholding deserved punishment, and grace, definition, giving undeserved gifts, are legitimate norms of conduct. These might not be instinctual, but once you've received mercy and grace from God, you are now able to extend that to other people. Not not because you have to, but because you can. There's this new power available for you to do things that you've been unable to do. Someone once said, you can tell uh, whether people have a heart of a servant, whether you have a heart of a servant, um, when someone starts treating you like a servant. How do you respond when someone treats you like a servant? And then Jesus gives another very real-world example. They would have understood this. If, so, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. This refers to a Roman law that any Roman soldier uh, could conscript an occupant of, a, of an occupied territory to carry their equipment, to carry their pack one mile, no more. So what do you do? A Roman soldier in that day tells you to carry his pack for, for a mile, his pack, his equipment, and the soldier is probably a kid himself. In a foreign land, uh, he's from a faraway place. He might have been even forced into military service when his own nation was taken over by Rome. He's far away from family and friends. He is hated and despised where he is, and he knows it. 
Jesus, try this on that, on that soldier. Walk that one mile. And at the end of the one mile, look that young soldier in the eyes and say, I bet your life is pretty hard. How about I go with you even further? Nobody had ever treated a Roman soldier like that. Right? Uh, Jesus is not giving a rule, I don't think. He's saying, now that the kingdom has come to you, you can be creative and strong in the work of reconciliation. You can now, in my strength, love somebody that nobody else loves. You can do it. My strength is available for that. Jesus punctuates that, and he summarizes it all in the very next line of our passage today. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, that first part, love your neighbor, that is from the Bible. It's repeated multiple times. It's the great commandment, and it is a central idea of the Bible. Love your neighbor. Everybody knew that. The second part of the line, hate your enemy, that does not appear in the Bible anywhere, but it was probably the common way of thinking. People were relieved. Jesus said, love your neighbor. Um, uh, oh, oh, thank goodness, that must mean the people that I like, and I can define other people, and I, I'm free to hate them. But Jesus says, next line, but I tell you, read this aloud with me, friends, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I think this may be the deepest line in the whole Bible. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, and some people have called this line the summit of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the highest application for the teachings of Jesus. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's not my instinct. But Jesus says in his kingdom, that is now possible. You want to know the number one factor that determines if you like another person? But a fair amount of research on this. The number one factor that determines whether you like somebody else is whether you think that person likes you. Is there somebody I don't like? I think they're a terrible person, but then I hear that they said good things about me. I hear that they like me, and suddenly I think, you know, that's a pretty perceptive person. <laughs> you know, I seem to be a pretty good judge of character, and I begin to like them. Uh, uh, conversely, the number one factor that determines people you don't like is if you think they don't like you. This person might be great in all other respects, could be Mother Teresa, but if I think Mother Teresa doesn't like me, she's out. She is a bad person. Listen, God does not love this way. God loves the people who love him. God loves the people who don't love him. God loves the people that spit in his face. And Jesus says this in our passage. God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good people. He sends rain on the righteous people and on the unrighteous people. Right? Every human is made in God's image. Every human is worthy uh, of value and respect and dignity and honor. And in some respect, God cares for, God protects the evil and the good. God protects the righteous and the unrighteous. God loves your enemies. The great civil rights leader, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., had a lot of enemies. And in a very moving sermon of his called Loving Your Enemies, which he wrote from a, a jail in Georgia, he talks about this. He talks about um, how hate, put this quote up, 
how hate multiplies hate in a descending spiral of violence, and it's just as injurious to the person who hates as to the victim. But love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Hate is just as injurious to the person who hates as it is to the victim. You don't turn an enemy into a friend by meeting hate with hate. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had a lot of enemies. Do you know who even had more enemies than he did? This is what Peter writes to the church about Jesus. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. He did not retaliate when they hurled insults at him. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, and this is a great line, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. In the last week of his earthly life, this one who taught such amazing things discovered how much his enemies hated him. He said, if somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn to him your other cheek also. And in the final days of his earthly life, his enemies came at him with their fists, and they beat his body, and they spit into his face. He could have called 10,000 angels to his rescue, but he stood his ground, and he turned the other cheek. He said, if somebody takes you to court and wants to take the shirt off your back to offer them your coat as well. Well, they took him to court. They put him through the mockery of a trial. They condemned him to death. And lastly, in one ultimate attempt at sheer humiliation, they took away his clothes. He was the same one who said, if a Roman soldier comes for you and forces you to walk one mile, at the end of the one mile, say, can I walk for you another? And one day, Soldiers did come for Jesus, and they made him carry his own cross until he could carry it no more. And when he could carry it no more, the Romans conscripted someone in the crowd, Simon of Cyrene, to carry the cross for Jesus. This is that Roman law. This is that same word. And Jesus said, I'll walk uh, with you as far as it takes. This is not weakness, friends. This is not weakness. Think about the problems of our world, mass shootings, outrage, anger, violence, wars, ethnic fighting, broken homes, and shattered hearts. What's going to heal that? It's going to be the way of the cross. It's the way that says the evil and the hurt and that, that cycle of anger and vengeance needs to stop in us. We put it to death at the cross of Jesus. This is now possible for human beings to do because of his strength because of the kingdom into which you and I are invited. It's easy to love the people who we like and who like us. The power of the cross empowers you to love the people you don't like and to love the people who don't like you. And that is a strength of another kind. And that's the strength that Jesus says is now available to you. And that's the kind of love that's the real hope of this world. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the wisdom of Jesus who taught a new way to live. Help us to do what Jesus taught. 
Help us to live in the kingdom of God, which Jesus says is accessible through him right now. Help us to experience a new kind of strength. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be vengeful. In you, we can be people of strength and peace. Because of love, you sent your son into a world that is fearful, fractured, frenzied, and fatigued. Help us to receive your love and help us to extend it to this world that you love so much. This we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.